Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Fresh Brewed Kentucky Politics. We've got a good show for you guys today. I am wearing my National Association for Gun Rights, better than the NRA, in my opinion. Uh, actually believe in the Second Amendment fullest. Not that the NRA is per se bad. They just, uh, sometimes they stump for more gun control than they need to. So anyways, I um, wear my National Association for Gun Rights hat. But I thank you guys for joining me today. As always, if you're catching this on replay and you're not watching this live on YouTube or Facebook, this is a podcast available on Spotify, Apple, and wherever you listen to podcasts. I please ask you to go ahead and hit that share button down there in the corner, especially if you're listening to this live, hit the share button down there. Let everybody know we're on today. We've got a good show. Um, we've got Chris Weiss is going to join us here at the beginning uh, to give us some updates on court cases. He's got a big one coming up on Monday as well. They also, of course, have the Supreme Court case coming up there in June. Um, Bashir has announced a rollback on some of his mandates, which this kind of has to deal with too as well. Um, of course, we've got the masking, uh, some interesting posts over the weekend, interesting articles out of Herald Leader opinion posts, as well as the Washington Post had an interesting article we'll go through for you guys and also talk about the uh, First Amendment and Facebook banning Trump and everything else. So please give me a share. And uh, if you want to support us, come by the coffee shop there, uh, Brood, Lexington, South Corner, Malibu, Nicholasville. You can also go online at broodco.com, B-R-E-W-E-D-C-O.com, and you can buy our coffee there, support us there. But for now, um, we're going to go live here with Chris. He's going to tell us uh, about some of the cases he's got coming up. He's got a Monday the 17th here, about a week out, exactly a week out, right? Yes. Um, case coming up, Chris. Uh, it's got a lot of big implications for the state. Do you want to give us a little breakdown on that? Yeah, you know it's interesting just with the posture. I mean, this is the this is the third um, governor COVID mandate case that followed um, the enactment of House Bill One, Senate Bill One, Senate Bill Two, and HJR seventy seven. And what is interesting about it, I mean, as you're aware, there was the Franklin Circuit action in which the defendants all all say, and this is the Judge Shepard case. Hey, we're not proper parties. Legislators say they've got legislative immunity. Attorney General says, hey, there's no case in controversy. I don't enforce this statute anyways. I'm not an enforcer. Um, you know, Judge Shepard issued a really strange opinion saying, yeah, I think there is a case in controversy. So that fight really is not even about the merits of the legislation and its unconstitutionality, even though the governor filed a lawsuit in Franklin Circuit Court saying that it was, um, you know, uh, 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 unconstitutional. unconstitutional so, yeah. You know, so that's the Franklin action. And, you know, the governor, the governor in every single case, in our case in Scott County, has used that that case saying, well, Judge Shepard, enjoin the legislation. You you can't you can't enforce enjoin legislation. And there's actually a case out of the Kentucky Court of Appeals that basically says that that is absolutely absurd. There's an entire uh, couple paragraphs that say you can't join legislation. Every circuit court has the ability to basically make their own judgments. Judge Shepard's, you know, basically what, what he's done in terms of enjoining legislation has no force and effect. Um, and that's the Mountain Truckers case. Um, and, you know, we've we've argued that the Scott County folks have argued that. So um, that argument is just sort of silly. Um, and then you've got the Scott County case also up on a temporary injunction 
um, you know, which extended only to the plaintiffs in that case. And then the Court of Appeals stopped it and said, oh my gosh, grandma's going to die if we do what the legislature said we need to do. And we're going to engage in, in an extreme form of judicial activism and we're going to put it on hold. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, I, I, I looked at that and I'm like, really? Like that's, you know, that's a bold move, Cotton. Let's see how that works out for you. But, um, you know, well, I, I thought he's brought how many more cases now since then? I mean, he's throwing a yeah. fit about the county fair board now not being under I control mean, of his office. You know, I, I look at this and I'm like, really? You know, I, I, I know we've got, you know, some some liberalism that's infected our courts. But like, I mean, it takes guts to sit there and say we're going to put on hold court orders that say the governor has to comply with recently enacted legislation. I mean, it, it undermines democracy. You know, and 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 uh, I just, you know, I don't think these judges realize like people have had it and like they're going to, you know, I just think I just think there's going to be consequences to this that that some of the judges that are entering these crazy orders, you know, don't fully realize right now. Um, so Judge Clayton, who's the chief judge of the Court of Appeals, entered that order sort of stopping the Scott County case and. You know, with the posture that was going on at the time, this was maybe a month ago, the governor was playing games in Boone Circuit, as you're aware, because we tried to get you in, in addition to amended complaint with Beans. And, you know, I mean, he was he was like, I need more time to respond to HJR 77 because that was a surprise that you're trying to bring that into the case. And then, you know, he turns around the next day and he runs into Franklin saying, oh, my gosh, you got to enjoy an HJR 77 because of Boone County. Like, you know, and so I think it like it probably at some level offended the judge and in Boone County when I think he now realizes he was being played by the governor's lawyers. And, you know, I, I don't imagine that that, you know, that that's going to go over well for them, but you know, that was the game he played and the judge kind of gave him some extra time to respond to some motions we filed. So, you know, that, um, you know, the, the Boone, the Boone case though, the judge Brueggemann said, look, I think there's issues of law and I don't think that this case is all that complicated. And so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to set this thing down for a bench trial on the merits, I'm not dealing with temporary injunctions. I'm just going to issue a final order in the case, and so and so that's May 17th, and so we're gonna we're gonna do that next week. Um, you know, we're gonna put on we're gonna put on some proof. Um, you know, hasn't really some of this proof hasn't really been done before. We're gonna you know put on some proof next week, and you know we'll see see how it shakes out. Um, I imagine. I know uh, you've got some, you've got some experts are bringing it. We yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's not talk about the whole strategy, um, <laughs> you know, online, because as you're aware, the governor pays people to monitor your, your sure. Social. Yeah. Yeah. Just let people know to help pay yeah, for no, those expenses. Gonna be, yeah. No, it's going to be interesting. Um, <laughs> you know, I think it's going to be an interesting trial next week. We're, we have briefs that are due this Friday. Um, I mean, I'm, it, it, it is a, we're going to be filing some monstrous pleadings. Um, I share the governor's respect my authority. I'm the Supreme Executive. You can't tell me what to do brief that he filed last week. Now, what was so, so, you know, I read it, of course. It's many yeah. pages long. We read these things because we're nerds. But just <laughs> break it down for those people that don't read. Because the governor has a tendency to reply with hundreds of pages of information. Right. He does not do quick responses at all, as we've seen in all the cases that, you know, you've been dealing with them in. What was the crux of his argument for, for those people that don't want to read the entire document? Yeah, so let me boil it down. He, he made like five or six different arguments. And obviously, you know, we've, I, I, I've been working over the last week to get the response brief to it done. But first he argues that under separation of powers, 
the the emergency response is the governor's function only and if it deals with emergency response the legislature can't legislate in the area of emergency response basically or in any way that would limit what the governor thinks is the appropriate uh, ability to engage in uh, emergency response and in part you know he 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 argues acre but but he sort of skips the whole passage about you know if the legislature doesn't like it they can restrain the powers right there's an entire passage on that in acre and like you know we're just not going to pay attention to that part of the decision you know we're going to go and we're just going to talk about these general principles as opposed to the specifics about reigning in the government right and so like i mean of course in acre he even argued that well they could rein me in if they wanted to so that's how i have permission to do all this right, right? yeah that's how, why it's not an unconstitutional delegation it was their ability to end it and now they end, you know they come in and they end it and he's like well no they can't do that right you know i it, i mean that's the kind of stuff we're dealing with and so you know basically i mean if you, if you take his response to its conclusion he argues one, he's the supreme executive. Two, he only he gets to to determine emergencies. Only he gets to determine the length of emergencies. Only he gets to determine what the response is to emergencies. And the legislature can in no way, shape, or form legislate in this entire area involving these extraordinary powers to essentially make law. I mean, it. if you think about it, I mean, it, it basically is, I mean, what he's arguing is he has the right to be an autocrat or a dictator and nobody can stop him. And I mean, I mean, it's, it it is it is shocking on on one level and then what, you know what do you say on that i've i've heard some people say just on that one there what is the ability of the legislator moving forward in the future because we didn't get here because bashir was elected we got here because of decades of pushing power over to the executives and because the legislators don't want to do anything and then the wrong guy bashir gets in at the wrong time takes advantage of all these things but is there is there a law to be passed that somehow makes the governor prove there's even an emergency or defines what exactly is an emergency? I know it's hard because there's some things like you have to declare an emergency to get funding or the ability to do things or to get funding from the federal government sometimes. So is, is there any way that there's ever legislation to get that handled? Yeah, I mean, I you know my research, and we've been we've been into into the case law, you know, fairly extensively, especially over the last couple of weeks, responding to the governor's brief, and frankly, getting ready to respond to the governor's brief because most of his arguments were not really that big of a surprise. Um, you know, I contend that the legislature has the ability to basically constrain anything other than the governor's enumerated powers and i don't mean his general sort of omni executive powers i mean like they can't restrict his ability to pardon people with with a statute they can't restrict his ability to call out the militia or the be the commander-in-chief with a statute but you know if it's not specifically listed and emergency response is not and i think the legislature has the plenary ability to do whatever they want and put whatever conditions on it they want i mean and they I mean, there's some things they can't do. Like they can't say, well, the governor can only declare an emergency, um, you know, with the approval of a legislative committee, right? That's LRC versus Brown. That'll be unconstitutional. You know, you can't, they can't delegate the legislative function to a committee of the legislature um, like the LRC. They're not allowed to do that. But I, I think in terms of legislation and putting conditions on powers, I think they have, you know, a, a very, very significant um role to play and that they've got a lot more authority than the governor wants to give them credit for 
you know, we'll see if the Supreme Court of Kentucky, um, you know, is going to uh, curtail what has been, you know, almost 60 years of, of a great deal of legislative discretion to set government policy in all kinds of areas, and especially in the area of public health and welfare and emergency response. So, you know, that's really what's at stake um, is is really the legislative function and, and our legislative ability to, to set policy through our elected officials, legislative branch. And, you know, if you think about it, I mean, it was always set up to sort of be a tug and pull and compromise in two houses and passing legislation was always supposed to be difficult as opposed to a single executive, um, you know, because it was sort of policy and it wasn't meant to sort of be one person, you know, having their way over statewide policy. And yet, you know, that's what's it's that's really what's at stake with these cases. So that, you know, that that's one argument that he's made. He um the the funniest argument that he makes though is with House Bill One. He says House Bill One is unconstitutional because it, it is delegated to the CDC and it incorporates CDC guidance um into a statutory enactment. And the reason I find that so funny is if you go into his mandates, he himself has repeatedly incorporated CDC guidance since this thing began, right? You look at the mask mandate, incorporate CDC. You look at, you know, all of these guidance docs and all of the mandates he's put out, it, it has references and links to CDC. So, you know. <laughs> well, he's been saying all along, listen to the experts. So is he saying now that the CDC is now not an expert? Well, he's saying the CDC is an unaccountable um, branch that nobody can, uh, an unaccountable agency that no one can can listen to and it can't be incorporated in the legislation. And I'm like, well, dude, you've been like doing that since like March of last year. What, what like, is, what is you know, the Cabinet for Health and Family Services again? CHFS? Yeah. Yeah. Is that not an unelected body? That is <laughs> not, I mean, I'm just curious. I mean, I'm asking questions. I mean, here. when you boil down his arguments, right, and you and you apply <laughs> the standards that he's arguing to his own actions, I mean, one, it's hypocritical, but two, I mean, the Supreme, I mean, we challenged, we made a lot of these section two challenges to his orders, right? You know, there's no notice. They, you know, they come out with nobody knowing about them. It's unelected, you know, bureaucracy. It, 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 it's, a, it's an improper delegation. And the Kentucky Supreme Court's like, no, 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 an increase. So unless those Kentucky Supreme Court's going to apply a different standard to the, to the legislature, which probably is entitled to more deference than the executive, unless you're going to unless you're going to have different rules. And we know the left loves def different rules, you know, for, for themselves versus others. You know, uh, that argument is just absurd. And so, you know, I look at that and I'm like, come on, man. And so, um, you know, he, we, I, I, you know, you'll see the response brief we're going to file this week. I mean, it, we, we take them to task. I'm going to file it probably it's due Friday. I'm going to file it a little early. Cause I, um, you know, the judge that we've got, um, is an academic judge, um, who really will dig into the law and he'll write a thorough opinion. And I think the sooner I get him our brief, the sooner he'll probably start working on it. If he hasn't started already, which he probably has. Um, but you know, he's, he's, He's one of those smart judges that, you know, that you don't, um, you see more in the federal courts and the state courts or the judges that will sit down and really take the time to like research and, and issue a thorough opinion. We'll probably get that out of him, um, you know, and I think, I think it'll be helpful um, at a minimum, the Supreme Court of Kentucky will see it. Um, depending on what he does, I think our case could get, you know, uh, put up there. And I, you know, I don't know. I don't know that we'll get combined into the June 10th argument. I, you know, I don't know. I guess it depends on how quickly um, this the judge issues his opinion. 
you know, if we even get a brief or if they'll just hold it for decision, you know, I, I don't know. Our, our record though will be different um, and more substantive than the other than the other cases. And so I think in that regard, you know, maybe they will take it because there's been a full full proof and full trial that's been held in Boone County versus elsewhere. So, you know, so we'll see. But that, you know, May 17th. Well, you're seeking to, you know, the class certification on this one. For those who are unaware, unlike are. the Goodwood case where there was no class certification, it only applied to those in the case. But this case here has class certification asking. So if it's granted, it would then apply to the entire state which if class certification is granted, I see the, the Supreme Court picking this up very quickly. So they'll either um, pick it up or they'll stay it. I mean, they're going to do something, right. right? I mean, I mean, it's not going to sort of, it's not going to be, you know, Judge, Judge Brigham enters an order and it just sits alone, unmolested by the, by the appeals courts. I mean, it's going to, um, if it's a favorable ruling in favor of the businesses, I expect, you know, all hell to break loose. Um, and, you know, it's interesting, you know, that the courts are so quick to stop duly, duly enacted legislation by super majorities. It's in effect the courts thumbing their nose at the people um, of Kentucky. And, you know, that that's a problem, I think. But, you know, we'll see. Um, we'll, we'll see. And so, you know, I, you know, it, it, it will be interesting to see kind of what happens. I don't I don't think we're obviously I, we're going to put some proof on next week. Um, I don't anticipate getting a decision. Certainly, probably not Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and next week. Maybe towards the end of next week, we might get a decision. You know, Thursday, Friday, uh, possibly. Um, you know, I think maybe the following Monday, the twenty fourth, is more likely. That way, the judge will take the weekend and really work on it. That would be my guess. Um, you know, so we'll see. I mean, that and and that's, you know, that Beans is the is the plaintiff in that case, uh, Beans Cafe, um, and uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. So. so Chris, do you want to take any questions too while we're wrapping up towards the end? You want to take like three questions? Yeah, we can take some okay. questions. So, we guys, can, we know, can take obviously the Supreme three Court questions. argument is June 10th. So, you know. And, and on June 10th. So, guys, get in your three questions, first three questions. Um, but following, putting that to the side, on, on June 10th, we have the Supreme Court hearing. Now, they're hearing, are they hearing the constitutionality of it or are they more so hearing the case and controversy? Whether or not. Bashir, even in the first place, can be bringing this and, and going about this with the legislator? You know, I, I think they're going to have to hit all of it. Um, you know, I think the court have, really wants to probably dig into the constitutionality. I don't know that it's, I, I suppose it's plainly presented in both cases. I mean, you know, but what's interesting is that nobody below, right? The governor in the Scott County case said, well, well you're bound by Franklin Court. Franklin Circuit Court and never sort of raised independent his independent constitutional arguments that he raised in Franklin County in Scott, right? And so, you know, the governor is sort of arguing that Franklin, the Franklin Circuit bound Scott, and that's his defense to the Scott case, as opposed to doing what he did in Boone County, which is raising the substantive issues with a real case and controversy. So I guess, you know, one observation I have is I'm not sure either case is a great vehicle to like address the constitutional questions that are presented by the by the governor's challenges, um, and it will be very plainly presented in Boone. So I, you know, I'm interested. I think other lawyers are interested to see what does the Kentucky Supreme Court do with the Boone case, um, which is sort of following the other cases by three to four weeks. You know, I, I don't know. It'll be interesting. 
that uh, that is a, a kind of up in the air thing, I guess. Is you never know how it's going to play out, and also too, I mean, it's a common playbook of Bashir, and and we've been seeing this to when he thinks he might be in a losing situation, he suddenly backs off from some of these mandates. So when when he's seeing a case not going his way, you'll see him drop those mandates and then try to argue. Well, it's not even pertinent anymore. Those mandates aren't even in place, which doesn't mean once the case clears the court, he can't turn around and then, you know. Yeah, this is a little different, though. I'm not sure that I, you know, I don't know that um, that the court still wouldn't take this up because of the importance of the issues and the frustration of legislative enactments by the lower courts. I mean, I just think, particularly Judge Shepard, and and let's be clear, right? Like the governor, I think, has like brought at least two lawsuits, maybe three, over legislation he doesn't like. I mean, the fair board, right? He's all hot and bothered over that in, in Jefferson Circuit Court. Um, you know, so there's a lot of there's a lot of tangential issues that I think are going on in these cases. And, you know, I I don't think he's gonna be able to moot his way out of it, but I mean it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, to your point, I mean, generally he will on the eleventh hour surrender what he can't keep. I mean, we saw I mean, how many federal court injunctions did we get, right? We we won the we won the church case, and then he lifted the the church thing and argued it was moot, while while also arguing the ability to the need to reimpose the church ban. I mean, he did that for like a year. You know, with the right. protest thing, he kind of did the same thing. So, I mean, he sort of plays this game of it's moot, but I want the ability to redo it. And you know that I don't know if he's going to keep playing that game. I I think um, you know it is interesting. He's lifted the hours of operation restriction. Um, you know, at the end of the month, I suspect, you know, that that has something to do with the Boone case. I mean, you know, and, and me maybe asking Dr. Stack some questions about why I, I was not aware that COVID could tell time, right? Because that's a question I've got for Dr. Stack. Um, COVID can tell time. I wasn't aware of that. But, you know. Um, <laughs> well, so- I mean, even even <laughs> even the commonplace like articles you read about it, like, I of course, I've read quite a lot of articles um about the the uh, curfew and not a single article i've seen it's like here's the science behind the curfew they're all like it's to make it look like we're doing something but (laughs) it doesn't do anything you know i i think that and the barstool issue is probably the least defensible and he lifted both of those today so maybe it is sort of a recognition of them not wanting to go in the court next week i I mean nothing majorly changed our case count things didn't really change our vac i mean we're only vaccinating like 1500 days so i do have some questions where you're coming in if you want to get those. Um, So one of the questions was, is um, will this case make my mask go away? Yeah, we are, we are, um, we are challenging the mask mandates um, and we're seeking to lift them statewide. I want to be careful though. I, you know, we were down in Florida for spring break and uh, you know, there was no mask mandate down there. Sure. And what, what we found was that individual restaurants and sometimes individual businesses had mask mandates and they were making that decision for their business. And I think that's what we'll, we'll see a move to in Kentucky uh, once the legal mandates are lifted is, is sort of voluntary uh, mandates, but voluntary from the business sense. Um, and, you know, the folks that argue, well, free market businesses should be able to decide, you know, that that's where I think this will move to. And obviously, you know, subject to the same issue we've got today with the Americans with Disabilities Act, 
um, claim where the where there's a legitimate ADA claim. I mean, I see a lot of folks saying, I just hate the mask mandates. I'm going to sue. And I'm like, doesn't work that way. Do you got a doctor's note that says you can't wear a mask? Well, no. I'm like, well, you probably don't have an ADA claim. And then right. I, you know, sometimes they'll yell at me and say that I'm rotten. Will, that's bad news. But, you know, if I'm we like, end yeah. the mask mandate in the state. So this is a question. A couple people have actually asked this right. as a follow up. If we end the mask mandate as the state, do kids in school coming into next year can can do they still have to wear mask? What do schools still have the ability to require masks if the mask mandate goes away? Public schools. You know, I've been looking into that, and I suspect, I mean, a couple things. You know, just because the governor's mandates have been lifted doesn't mean, one, that counties won't be able to do their own mandates, which I'm sure we'll probably see in Jefferson and Fayette in particular. Um, you know, and, and, and do they have that power? Is that a delegated power? Those will be the questions we'll be looking at. And, you know, school boards, under the school board statutes, you know, they, they do have the right to, um, to enact reasonable, you know, safety protocols, you know, under the school board statutes. So will schools be setting their own policy? And, you know, I think... Those are the issues we'll be grappling with, you know, kind of going forward. And, and um, you know, the short answer is I right now I've not done a deep dive in sort of the fallback position because, I'm, you know, what I find is that this stuff's like peeling away an onion and the top layer is the governor's mandates. Let's peel that away and we can sort of deal with the next problem when it when it comes. Sure. But I I suspect, you know, we'll be looking at those legal issues next. You know, what can schools mandate, um, you know? Etc. Well, because I mean, I just uh, real quick, kind of personal thing. So it was a little minor protest, even though I know they're going to require him to. I send my son to school without a mask to make him provide it each time. It's just a minor protest. Um, which you know, one time they sent him home wearing a mask. It was a cloth mask, and then it had uh, uh, like plexiglass right around the mouth, so you could see their mouth. And I'm like, how? My son has asthma, and I'm like, how can you breathe through that? Like, it's literally plexiglass right there. You're not breathing through that. Sometimes and, they do that for the hearing disabled, right? So that you can see the verbalization so that folks that, that have right. the hearing But you can't breathe through it. And and they, they he said they gave it to him because they ran out of masks. But I think, to your point, more importantly is, is you know, we're not seeing that um, – we're not we're not seeing the schools really wanting to roll back a lot or they're last to roll back. I mean, obviously, we don't see a lot of the kids. So, get, I mean, I mean, take, right now, they don't even have the option. Right. Like right, right now, there's a governor's mandate in place. And so, you know, I, and and I mean, it's 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 kind of like, you know, a lot of local control issues. I mean, I think, you know, I think people are seeing who they elect the school board actually matters, you know, through COVID, whereas before it was like. You know, I don't know that a lot of people were paying attention as to who the school board, you know, president was. So, um, well, you know, the Fayette County School Board believes that we all elected the wrong person. Real article. The Fayette County School Board is looking at how to make themselves more diverse because they're all white people. And so <laughs> Fayette County elected an all white board and they're like, this is a problem. I'm like, you guys were the ones who ran. <laughs> like, <laughs> who's, like, Who's getting voted off the yeah. island? Right. I say Tyler Murphy, but you know, that's just well, me. You know, I might be looking at a a, a conflict of, of interest action, you know, um, on on him. I mean, I, there, there's just so much going on right now. We've been. Um, I yeah, if there wasn't as much, I mean, well, you know, and I I've said it out loud, and, and I've posted online. They delete their comments when I do, 
But, you know, we've got the screenshots of the Venmos. They're sending around collecting up money to buy Tyler bourbon. That is illegal. That's that's a, you know, that's a uh, um, a gift of above $20. So, um, you know, and we, we've got the screenshots of those Venmos, and it's not – I haven't made a secret about it. Somebody tried to post something defending them because we had the petition about Tyler Murphy. And I go, what would you say if I told you I had screenshots that he's receiving gifts from the now school union in forms of alcohol um, of them collecting up the money? And then all of a sudden their comment went away. It was weird. They like deleted it. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. So, I mean, so uh, another question we had here um, was about uh, vaccination. So, of course, there's a lot of concern that it looks like they're throwing the normal timeline of approving a vaccine. Just they're just going to throw it out the window because they're like, we have so much data already, um, which is funny because I saw Pfizer got the approval for 12 to 16. They come out and they say it's 100 percent effective. And I go, you know what? For that age group, you probably could have injected them with water and it had been 100 percent effective as well because they're just you know, here in Kentucky, we have one death in the age range, 10 to 20, uh, um, zero if you look at the CDC, because they only count confirmed, one if you look at the CHFS numbers, and, and that one there, is, as I understand it, had been dealing with trouble for a long time. So the question is, though, is that when that vaccine gets approved, now we have SB8 that passed too as well here, can, first question I guess is can schools, public universities and public schools, require the COVID-19 vaccine despite SB8 passing? So let's let's roll back. And I've been doing vaccine rights work before vaccine rights work was, was hot, right? We did, <laughs> we did the chicken pox case in 2019 in Boone County where, um, you know, the, it, it was an entire, um, I wouldn't say an entire, 80% of the school was not vaccinated. It was a um, traditional Catholic Vatican mass parish and they figured out that the chickenpox vaccine contained, you know, the MRC5 aborted fetal cell line. And they, you know, as a matter of religious conscience, just said no. Um, and what they did there, they didn't force them to get the vaccine, but they did sort of keep all the kids that were unvaccinated or did not otherwise have the titers for, um, for uh, varicella, which is chickenpox, out of school. And we fought a religious freedom, you know, First Amendment case. Um, in state court. I wish I wouldn't have done it in state court. I wish I would have done it in federal court. That case is still pending against my friend, um, the Northern Kentucky Health Department, um, who uh, they, they love me like I love them. Uh, the best news I got <laughs> here was that the director um, is leaving at the end of this year. I, I hope I had something to do with that. I wish I could take credit for it. Um, Are we so going to throw a celebration? We, a we are. I think I think when, when she leaves, I think we got to throw a party. Um, you know, what, what's <laughs> What's wild is, I mean, I don't think a lot of people know this. I don't really like advertise it. My wife is a health professional, like big time, right? Like, like she's got letters behind her name. Like she teaches, like she's legit, right? Keep and, like, that quiet, actually, Chris. We, we're keeping it quiet. I also don't tell people my sister's a high up administrator at a hospital yeah. as her doctorate. And give you can imagine, so like, like, like there's some legit like dinner discussions where she's like looking at me like, what am yeah. I doing? But like, she was actually on the board at this Northern Kentucky health department. And apparently the director at one point said, I wish he was just more rational like his wife. And I, I, I thought that was kind of funny, right? <laughs> she told, she told somebody that and I'm like, well, you know, I, I stand for freedom. Um, I always have, I always will, you know, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying I balance what you're saying with, you know, our rights. <laughs> right. Right. 
I, you know, yeah. So, so back to the vaccines, I, you know, um, three things, I, the religious exemptions, uh, they actually, I think strengthen that, um, for schools this, this session. So they, they cannot mandate it. You are allowed to, um, use a religious exemption if you have a religious exemption. Um, I don't know. Then I think that there was a bill that they were looking at the conscientious. Well, can, can I ask a question about that yeah. too? Just legal religious exemptions and you know this is totally copyrighted we're we're already working on this so nobody even try we're already there i've just been waiting to ask you this i'm going to ask you live now let's say i found a church called the church of liberty and let's say this church has a lot of religious beliefs not really about the creator but they don't believe in forced vaccinations and forced masking and and all these different beliefs that just coincide with the belief of liberty is that a can that be a legal exemption if you're a member of a church that just states all these things that the church is so generally speaking the government is not allowed to second guess um the religious beliefs or the validity of them they are allowed to second guess whether or not you actually hold them whether or not they're sincerely held but generally i find they don't even challenge that because that's a very very sticky wicket um you know, I don't even think you have to do that, right? Like, there's existing religious doctrines out there that that I'm aware of that that are anti-vaccine for a lot of reasons. I mean, you know, the whole fetal cell development of vaccines, sure. you know, is is something that a lot of people hold near and dear to their heart. Um, you know, how much how much fetal cell involvement can there be? I mean, you know, J and J uses fetal cell lines to actually manufacture the vaccine. Um, you know, and I think there's some Catholic state, there's some Catholic bishop statements out there from you know, U.S. Conference of Bishops that say, you know, the J and J vaccine is bad for that reason, but but the Pfizer and Moderna don't have the same moral and ethical concerns. I guess my point is, you know, I think you're allowed to, um, you know, to raise that. And I did check Senate Bill Eight. Again, we, um, um, if you have a um, religious objection to vaccines you fill out the form and they're not allowed to second guess it there's some public accommodations issues on religious freedom as well i think it's it might be part of title seven which is the whole you know race discrimination sex discrimination code and but you're not allowed to do religion either although typically the supreme court has not sort of given that the full force that they have the race and sex discrimination sure. there is some appetite um and some dissenting opinions and some concurring opinions that suggest that maybe the Supreme Court's willing to put the U.S. Supreme Court's willing to put some teeth back into it. And so if somebody's got a legitimate religious objection to a vaccine, I think that that's the angle. And what's interesting is, you know, we sent a letter out to um, um, Berea College. I think everybody's aware of Berea, you know, was out in the paper. Look at us. We're mandating vaccines. And what followed that letter was another um, letter to, from Berea to, to their community saying, look, if you've got a religious objection, we'll honor it. Um, and so I thought that was really interesting um, that, that sort of followed. I think that'll be the next battle line. I do think um, we're going to see full approval. It's being rushed. Um, and the guy that I wrote the Berea letter with is a guy by the name of Aaron Siri, who's probably one of the uh, preeminent, uh, along with um, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., one of the preeminent uh, vaccine rights attorneys that, that does this work nationally. I've known Aaron for probably, you know, two or three years, just, you know, just some, you know, there's just not a lot of lawyers that do a lot of um, liberty litigation. And I've known Aaron, you know, through that. And um, Aaron um, is indicated, you know, they, 
they've been involved with slowing down the entire vaccine rollout. They've been filing multiple petitions with the FDA. They're going to do it again. Um, they're going to try and you know monkey works this thing up and just say there's right. not enough data for full approval. Um, you know, we may be looking at um, yeah, be like of course there is. <laughs> we just had you all take it under the experience. Right. I mean, look at all of our guinea. Pigs. <laughs> look at all these guinea pigs out look here. At the control okay? group. There's tons of data. <laughs> um, so you know, Aaron. I think Aaron may be looking at an action uh, in court after this approval and sort of really monkey wrench this thing up. And I know that they're looking at an omnibus petition um, to, to to slow down the Pfizer. The the other thing that's interesting about it, right? What does that do? You know, Pfizer went and filed. What does that do for the Moderna and the J and J? Right, because they're under an EUA. Well, one of the reasons you get an EUA is there's not a full approved product on the market. So as soon as you approve J and J, as soon I'm sorry, as soon as you approve Pfizer, now I think you now have you have to vacate the EUA for Moderna and J and J, and you can imagine the fiasco that's going to cause. And so there's right. some thought that the FDA may hold full approval until at least Moderna has their full petition, which I think is a few weeks out um, up there, and maybe maybe J and J. I don't know, but you know there, there's some other implications with these approvals in terms of what it does with the existing EUA approvals. And I think that's interesting too. So, you know, we're monitoring that I'm monitoring that because a lot of our pushback to employers and schools and everyone else has been, it's EUA. You can't mandate it. Once it's not EUA, what does that mean? Right. The only, well, the only I think, I think um, it's worth, it's worth noting too. We're going to make a post about this as soon as we get off, but I don't know if you're aware, Chris, that OSHA just changed its guidelines on vaccination. And OSHA says, um, it changed it like today that if you require your staff to be vaccinated and their side effects or injuries that come from that vaccination, it is a recordable event of a workplace injury under OSHA, which means, you know, you, the employer now can be liable. If you require the vaccine and there's a negative reaction to it, you as the employer can be liable, uh, for that vaccination, at least your workers' comp can be. Right? Well, you got to report it, and you're right; it's workers' comp, which is sort of no fault, anyways. Um, so you know that. I mean, it will probably hit workers' comp. It'll probably hit workers' comp premiums to the extent there's side effects, which is interesting, right? Because you can't sue the manufacturer. Um, the feds have a vaccine injury program that um, is really it, it is difficult to manage. Um, like I said, Aaron does a lot of that. Um, does a lot of the vax court work. Um, right. But it, it's a subset of the federal court of claims and there's a whole claims procedure and they sort of, if they recognize a particular side effect after you have enough of it, then when you have a side effect, they don't even get into fault. It's just, oh, you got a side effect from a, you know, chickenpox vaccine and this side effect right. we recognize and therefore we're going to pay you for it. So, you know, it's sort of an, it, it's almost like workers comp and that it's no fault once you get into the vax court stuff. But I mean, it's, it's an interesting sort of developing area. And I think, your point. I mean, I do think you're going to see employers, you know, look at that. What? Here's the question, though. You know, they the, the Kentucky Senate just passed um, a law. I think it was like Senate Bill Five. This is employers can't have any liability related to COVID. Does that shield employers from liability if they mandate vaccines? I, I well, you know, and it depends. I mean, OSHA saying it's not even issue, right. I mean, do we? Is there unintended consequences from giving employers all this immunity? You know, they, they sovereign immunity, no less, in the Senate Bill 5. And, right. you know, which I, I look at the legislature and I'm like, why are you guys doing half of what you're doing? It's just because the Chamber of Commerce 
Ember Communist is in your ear, you know, telling you to do stuff. Right. And I'm just like, you know. Well, I mean, it's, it's you know, all these groups, everybody's got to realize all these groups favor their big money people. Right. And, and, and also, too, as well, what you have to remember is that, and this is when I ever I see the governor talking about, oh, we're just encouraging private business, everything else. I, I, I want to rip my hair out and be like, you can close them right now at a snap of a finger. You don't even got to prove it. Right. There's an implied threat when the governor's sitting with you at the table saying you really need to help us get these people vaccinated. There is an implied threat, especially if you're a large employer, that I can shut you down just like that. Click in my one signature right now and you're closed. And and, you know, if there's we talk about all the time, we we people in Liberty, we talk about the free market. The problem is, is in the free market, the incentive is the customer. The profit incentive is the greatest incentive. But when you have somebody like coming along saying, hey, this may not be good for your profits, but you won't even get to exist unless you do what I say, your incentive goes away from the profit because you, if you don't exist, you can't make a profit. I mean, yeah. And, and, and look at, look at the winner and loser picking that we've seen over the last year, the special interest sort of you know, process into some of the governor's mandates. I mean, you know, when the events started to open for horse racing, you know, that I, I had the speedway, the Florence speedway that couldn't do car racing, but horse racing was allowed, you know, and I mean, you see all of that. And so, you know, but it is a, my, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. And so when the governor says, you're going to go and mandate this to your employees, you're going to offer incentives. Um, you know, I think it's interesting. I, I saw today though, I guess now they're giving out free lotto tickets. Yeah, Kroger um, and stuff. They're giving out free yeah. lotto tickets, which, I mean, you know, hey, you're already gambling with your life getting that vaccine. No, I'm kidding. You're not. You're not. Okay. It's not the same gamble. All right. I'm not a, not a doctor. Okay. But I made that joke to my wife. Who's like, they're encouraging gambling now. Like, and I'm like, well, you know, they're already gambling with the side effects. Might as well get some money while you're at it. You know, but yeah, I mean, well, in Vir uh, West Virginia was handing out hundred dollar savings bonds. Um, New York had a a joints for jabs program where you got free on four twenty. You got free uh, free joints weed weed out there in New York if you'd been vaccinated, right? I mean, <laughs> you know, they're 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 trying all kinds of different things. Um, you know, they're I guess they've they've really taken that to believe. You know, oh, it's these these white poor conservative dummies that won't get vaccinated and we know they all play the lottery so maybe if we you know get in here not realizing that it's it's not that odd it's not you know, dummies. It'll be a box of cigarettes and a handle of whiskey right i mean well it can't be menthol though chris it can't be menthol chris okay menthol oh, i forgot about biden <laughs> no menthol okay that's marble red for you all right you know, not to digress, but like, you know, if, if you look at our drug policy and you look at like who it's, it, I mean, honestly and truly, I mean, our, our drug policy has disproportionately affected the impoverished and the, you know, um, minority communities because generally, right, the, the rich white guys peddling the cocaine aren't the ones typically getting caught, right? I mean, honestly. Well, truly, and also too, it's yeah. not even that. I mean, let's call, let's call spade spade, not I'm rich. I'm not rich at all. I just now have a lot of lawyer friends. And, I, the, you know, there's a situation where I got a speeding ticket and it was no sweat. wasn't that worried about it because I called up a lawyer friend of mine, you know, by the name of Chris Weiss. And I was like, hey, I got a ticket. I wasn't speeding. 
uh, can you help me out here? And, and, you know, anybody who's been on those calls, you go to the front of the line, the lawyers get handled first, um, you know, and you end up being able to kind of speed through the system and a lot of times get dismissed compared to, and, and that's why I think we got to take a, re, if you really care about impoverished minorities, you got to take a good hard look at the laws we have and say, is this really something I want to potentially destroy someone's life over. I mean, even a speeding ticket. If you don't pay it, you get your license taken away, you get your license taken away, can't go to work without breaking the law, you get arrested on your way to work, you know, it, your life's over, right? And so I think that's something that we've got to take a good or hard look at these laws. I mean, yeah, right. I mean, it sounds good. We're going to stop this dangerous product in the market. We're going to keep people from it. But what you don't realize is that every single law is enforced, to your point, at the point of a gun, ultimately. And you're going to ruin, probably disproportionately, you know, um, the communities that you that you've been pandering to Biden um, for like a year, and I'm just like, why? Why? What? You know, the, I generally find freedom sort of works itself out in the end. You know, when you when you allow people the ability to make the right choices, you know, and, and sometimes people are like, well, you know, Christian moral values, and I'm like, well, okay, maybe I've got this all wrong, and maybe my understanding of the Bible is all wrong, but I kind of thought Christ wanted us choose him and make good choices, you know, in accordance with him, which requires us at bottom to have the freedom to be able to do that to begin with, right? Versus the government sort of locking everybody up, right? The old, you know, parks and rec, right to jail, right to jail, right? I mean, right. it seems like, you know, it seems like that's, that, you know, that's the, that's the Biden Bashir response. Oh, you don't do what I want. You know, you don't shut down your restaurant, right to jail, right to jail. So, you know, I, I look at this and I'm like, you know, come on. Um, I, by the way, Unintended consequences. I don't know if you've noticed. Uh, Beans had a post today, and we're seeing it kind of all over. We've got a hiring problem right now in the sense that, like, employers want to hire workers, and workers don't want to go to work. And workers I, don't I, to yeah, work. I mean, yeah. people complain to me. Brood doesn't have that problem per se because, yeah. you know, Brood has interesting work requirements that – is different than most places and so if other places require things that we don't require and then those people don't like those things they sometimes work it you know could be free coffee or you know you know stuff right just random things but liberty, right? right liberty we offer a lot of liberty to to yeah. our staff and and you know we have but i am aware of situations um or even at other companies I work with, you know, I don't, I don't just have a coffee shop. I do other things. Um, having I mean, big hiring problems. I mean, I mean, look at so beans. So, so you know, Richard, mutual friend of yours, mutual friend right. of mine, client of mine, right, was out today, and he did a post. They had to shut. He had to shut his drive-through down today because they they didn't have staff. And you know, well, and hold they, on here. He's got like fourteen kids. Could he not like? Grab? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> so, you know, his daughter, I, his Richard's daughter, like, helps manage that restaurant. Right, right, right. I know. I was making a joke about his kids. Most of um, his kids are too young. <laughs> I mean, but but my point, I you know, and I think it's a legit point, right? I mean, here the government is. It's handing out all this money. Mm -hmm. So if I'm sitting at home, and I haven't done the math, but, you know, if somebody's hiring at, at 10 bucks an hour times, you know, 40 hours a week, that's 400 bucks. And if I can, well, and, and, you know, Kentucky, I, I made a post about this too. Kentucky has an interesting problem with this. And this is what a lot of people don't know. 
a lot of other states, they max out around 200-ish, 250-ish of, of their workers' comp benefits. So you throw on the other 300 and you're at 500 and some, you know, it's still higher than if you're making 10 bucks an hour, but it is, you know, I don't know. But here in Kentucky, we have a big problem because our max is 500 in, in I believe, $69. Right. So you top in the other 300, you're talking $839. Where are not just, and like I said, we made a post about it where we did the math. We're not just talking about, well, you just need to pay more. No, you don't understand. If I'm paying people, because normally unemployment is like 50-ish percent. So if I was paying people 12 an hour, a good pay rate, or even 15 an hour, they were receiving at 15 an hour, 40 hours a week, that's 600 bucks. So they'd normally receive 300, but then you throw in the $300 kicker and then you're making just as much 600 a week as you would if you're working full time at $15 an hour. I mean, the math is almost a 20, an effective hourly rate of $21 an hour. Right. I mean, I mean, right. that's, that's highly skilled labor. Like, right. you know, like I, I, you know, um, I, I mean, it's hard, you know, and, and why, if I'm making that, am I going to go out and work, right? Particularly, well, you know. Yeah, I mean, you got to pay me far beyond that, too. Right. I mean, if I'm making 600 to sit on my butt, you better be paying me around 1000 and And I can't fault those people. I'm not going to make demons out of those people taking advantage no. of that. I would do it. I'm just going to be honest, guys. I would do it, okay? I would. I would get mad at me all you want to. I would do it. I've got a kid. I wouldn't have to worry about that. You know, I what's not make demons out of them. The government set them up in a situation where it's like, well, granted, I wouldn't do it because I don't, you know, like that stuff. But, you know, the government, I can't fault them for doing it. The government set them up in a situation where your incentive is to stay home. Right. I mean, that's the problem. And I think, you know, I, and until we, I mean, I don't even think it's enough to, um, you know, right now, I mean, I think they've reinstituted the requirement that you have to look for work and you have to document, right? Now, we all know that that gets gamed. Um, I've, I've seen it be gamed. I've been victims of it being gamed as the right. employer. Um, we all know that gets gamed. But I, at some point, the supplemental payments just have to stop. And I think, you know, I'm not sure how long that they're supposed to continue, but I, until I they stop. I think till the end of... They were extended for six months in February. So, like, they're supposed to last, I believe, till the end of July, August. So, people aren't going back to work till August. I mean, right. that, that just is a fact. And, I, you know, you look at the cost of that, and I'm not talking about the tax dollars and whatnot that's being used to supplement it, but I'm talking about the economic cost of, of businesses not sort of reengaging the economy and the engines of the economy by, you know, again, I mean, even – even factory, even good factory work with decent bennies, you know, might be paying out, you know, 10, 18 bucks an hour, 20 bucks an hour. I mean, you're not going to go and take that job if you can sit at home and get the same amount. Right. So, I well, mean, and also too, I mean, you're getting your, your, a lot of times you're getting your free health insurance too, as well. That's yep. not coming out. I believe you don't have to pay social security on that. So your net amount. So if I pay you 600 at work and, and you, and you're, you're paying 600, that net amount is much lower. And, and it gets even worse too, for those who are unaware of how, what a problem this creates, especially for like social security, which is already in a problem. Employers match what you put in. So if you were, you're now not contributing to social security 
And if you're working, you would be contributing to Social Security and the employer contributes to Social Security. So the government's actually missing out on a lot of taxes while they're shelling out more money, which creates a debt problem um, because it's almost like they're paying you for them not to make anything. Right. Right. And, and you know, I've seen people say this too. A lot of people have been saying, I don't want to go back to work until they don't require masks anymore because I can't wear masks all day. And I'm like, hey, I can't. I can't fault you for that, right? As soon as that mandate gets removed, I think that'll play a lot into it where, and, and, and it'll become, you know, you work somewhere that I think, if anything, you'll see the mass mandates falling away and you won't see vaccine. And that's the one thing against employers uh, making you get vaccinated, even once it's approved right now, our best defense is it's hard to find people. So why would you want to cut yourself out of employees by saying you got to wear masks, you got to be vaccinated and 40%, 50, I think it's 53%, something like that, 47% of the population is not vaccinated. So you're cutting out like half your workforce right there. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, you know, again, I mean, we got to restart the engines. And, you know, I, I see the governor's posts about, well, you know, strategic approach and, and, and you know, strategic mandates. You know and what? Way, and and the sales receipts better. were going going up during the lockdowns, too, because people didn't stop spending money. So you still collected your 6% sales tax. They were just spending money at large corporate businesses. And, you know, anyway, I'm sorry. That just, it annoys me when he posts those things. And, it, and it's black and white photos. Like, can you get another freaking filter, please? All you have is your black and white filters. And you look at it, you're like, man, I look like Kennedy. And you're like, <laughs> I'm going with that one every time because it's the Kennedy filter. And so, you know, I, I'm like, get a different filter. And, you know, stop patting yourself on the back because businesses have been destroyed. You know, it's it's a funny thing. I have some friends that are like died. It's going to maybe surprise you. They're like died in the wool, hardcore Democrats um, mm -hmm. have been their whole lives are true believers. Um, and, you know, I mean, I enjoy debating, you know, I enjoy debating with people that don't share my point of view. Um, you know, and, and honestly, in law school. I mean, that went on frequently. Like, I, sometimes you'll see some of my law school classmates post on some of my posts thinking that, like, I'm, I'm nuts, right? Because, like, how can you be conservative? Um, although I respond, and I'm like, well, you know, if you're if you're not liberal at 21, you don't have a heart. And if you're not conservative at 40, you don't have a brain. So, you know, <laughs> that's, my, that's my response. But, you know, I mean, I, I, I think that, you know, it is interesting because the discussions that I have had, and I'm not talking about the people that are like, milking the Bashir administration and making money off of some of this stuff, sort of the dirty sort of underbelly of, you know, I'm right. going to take like the grind with unemployment yeah. and I'm going to kind of, you know, no bid contract. So I'm not talking about the people that are on the receiving end of that, um, which is sort of funny because I had a lawyer who um, was at a law firm that received some no bid work from Bashir. They got really mad at me and like stormed off my, said, I'm unfriending you. And I'm like, well, you know, my Facebook page isn't an airport. You don't need to announce your departure. So, um, but you know, I mean, his law firm was making money off the Bashir administration, you know, significantly, right. I mean, they've been, they've mm -hmm. been, you know, significantly sort of pandering, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the kind of more of the, the other Democrats and what, you know, guy, and what's interesting, right. Matt Jones just had a post to Bashir, you know, reopen the economy. Matt Jones is hardly a conservative bastion. No, anything. No, right. I mean, no. and you know, in DC, but open. he does own a bar <laughs> Does own a bar, <laughs> and he sees um, those numbers. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> so I, you know, I, what I think is interesting though, is I've had these conversations with folks who, who really, you know, all things being equal vote for the Democrat, they voted for Biden, but they're like, I'm not voting for Andy Bashir in his reelection. And they've said that to me and they're like, you know, I don't agree with everything that you're doing. Like, I think, you know, I think you're wrong on the mask stuff. I think you're wrong on the vaccine stuff, but I think you're right on the lockdown stuff and sort of the picking and choosing. And I thought that, you know, those comments and those discussions were interesting um, and these are, you know, some of them are like business owners that have been hurt by Bashir. And so, you know, right. back to the old, whose ox is getting gored. I mean, you weren't that politically active really at all until, you know, you tried to take your business away. You know? I was politically aware. I mean, you, you know, aware, I was like, you weren't knowledgeable. Like, I didn't jump were, into the, the reason why this worked is because I was already knowledgeable, but I wasn't like out there posting a whole lot of things on Facebook. About the governor being yeah. a tyrant. Right? No, I mean, no, right. no, no. So, I wasn't delivering coffee to the mansion. You know, <laughs> I wasn't doing right, a lot right. of things. Right. But but it was your 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 Oscar awards. So sometimes I see people yeah. and like they're like I think I think Bashir's going to win re-election, and I'm like I don't think so. Like I I think he's just made too many people mad, and like I think you know we're starting to see. I mean, the booing at the Kentucky Derby, right? The left was absolutely cheering when that happened to Matt Bevan. And now it's happened to Andy Bashir, right? I mean, you're into his term and people are like, this dude's got to go. And like, I think. Well, uh, and also too, I think it's, you know, and, and, and I think the thing about the mandates, and this is one thing I, I, I've realized this today. So I was at a shop, um, a swim shop and we were talking about, cause my son's doing swimming and we were talking about COVID restrictions of last year, about six foot distancing in the pool. Cause they were talking about how, Chlorine is all going to be cranked up this year. They're going to put real high because they're worried about COVID. And I'm like, I, literally two weeks, three weeks ago, the CDC just said soap and water kills COVID. Fine. Like, you don't need to crank up your chlorine any more than it already is. And we're like, I know, it's stupid. You think about last year where we had to be six feet apart in the pool because if you work in pools, you know, there, you've got fumes and things coming off. The water droplets sink down. It, long story short, chlorine is killing a lot of this stuff. Being six foot distance in a pool made no sense. And in the same way that, you know, when they're sitting there saying, um, everybody needs to, to in, in restaurants, they come out the guidance that says, everybody needs to be washing their hands. We already wash our hands all the time. Like, what are you talking about? You go to the bathroom, you wash your hands, you handle food, you wash your hands, you know? You so gloves. it's You, you wear gloves, right? Preparing. You got a hairnet and a mask if you're in right. the kitchen. Right? Yeah. Right. Like, it's like normal stuff we already did. So the point of it is, is that I may not be an expert in infectious diseases, but I'm an expert in how a restaurant operates. So when you make these mandates about how a restaurant, things to do with a restaurant, and I'm like, that makes no sense because I know restaurants. So this gentleman that I was talking to, he knows pools. So when they were making rules about swimming, he's like, that makes no sense because I know about pools. And so, and, and everybody in their own life knows that. Like take masking, for example. I, I was talking to you about this the other day. My father's a certified... Um, mass through OSHA. And he's like, you know, asbestos and lead, we are trained if you're around that, the mask they have you wearing for COVID don't work. They went OSHA wouldn't approve them. And those grant and those particles are so much bigger. And so you know, though people may not be in infectious disease experts, I put that in quotations, can't see it. Uh, but um other people are experts in their industry and they know what they do in their industry and they know their sanitation efforts. They know the, the kind of stuff they do. And so, you know, I, I don't know. The point is, is just, 
I think that's the breakdown. More and more people realize like, okay, this doesn't make sense at all. It just doesn't make sense at all. I think that's... I, I think people are, have had enough. I mean, I think when this started, everybody was scared, right? I mean, I mean, it was it was significant. I mean, I'll never forget. It was 2020 legislative session was winding down and, and I got a call from Savannah Maddox and she was like, you know, I, I'm afraid the governor's going to go off the deep end. Like, what do we need to do? stop them and i'm like you need to take a hard look at 39a and here's some recommendations and she got a bill in and as you're aware you know they went nuts on it right yeah the leadership did the governor did she's gonna kill everybody and like you know and and then and then she turned out to be like predictive of like everything that happened because once they once they left right it was it was Bashir on a tirade and you know it didn't stop and you know the, the church thing the 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 I mean, I think the protest thing that he did, the travel ban, I mean, just all the stuff that he was doing, right? It's just insane. Like, you know, non-elected medical care, you know, is banned unless it's an abortion clinic. I mean, just just everything that like he did was just all about the politics. And, right. and then, you know, we got the stack deposition in June of of uh, 2020 where Stack admitted that the governor was making value judgments about what was important and what wasn't, sort of at at, at bottom, right? That that was what right. was driving us. And so, you know, it just but I look at I look back over like the last year and a half, and I'm like, you know, my gosh, like like look at what we've been through. And now you know now you're starting to see politicians that weren't all that you know against the stuff at the time. I mean, they were sort of picking and choosing, you know, what they were against and what they weren't. You know, at the time, I mean, I don't think I don't think anybody really supported the state police going into the churches on Easter Sunday. Um, you know, mm -hmm. I don't I don't think anybody was supportive of that. But like a lot of this other stuff, you know, very very supportive and. Well, you know, we I think, well, I, right. I, yeah, I mean, I think as it progresses, people right. get more supportive looking back. I mean, today in the Washington Post or Sunday, Washington Post, they ran an article all about it was called to mask or not to mask. And, you know, you have excerpts in this of people being like um, people saying, well, I know I don't need to wear a mask. Um, and I know it's not safe, but I don't want people to think I don't care. Um, I don't want people to think I'm, I'm a Republican, Republican, um, you know, or I'm afraid. So, so they're literally admitting that they are disengaging with the science. This is not about science anymore. Right. Um, and in, in this article, they're talking all about how they, they're admitting that it's all virtue signal. And I think on the masking side of things, that is, I think, a lot of people's concern moving forward is that the masking thing, because politics used to not be talked about, right? And then you start putting something on that almost said whether you're a lefty or a righty, right? And and now it became everybody knew your politics the moment they looked at you. So, you know, it's interesting, right? I mean, I, and, and, and by the way, um, the, I have my things that I agree with him on and my things I disagree with him on, but, you know, Senator Rand Paul went out, got, you know, as you're aware, got COVID, um, unfortunately, and got over it and got, of course, you know, the science is that when you overcome a disease, that you have antibodies to it. And of course, your body's learned how to fight it and fight it off. And increasingly, we're seeing studies that show that, in fact, you know, when you catch COVID, you actually obtain, you know, it confers immunity on you for some period of time. Sure. And, um, you know, and, and Senator Paul's point has been, you know, if you if you're immune, if you've gotten the vaccine or you've otherwise caught COVID, why do you need to wear a mask? I'm not going to wear a mask, right? And Senator Sherrod Brown, you know, Democrat, 
made the statement, you know, that that what Senator Paul is doing just doesn't present the right image. So it, which which is a which is a acknowledgement that this is not about the science. It's not about stopping COVID. It's all about the emergency signal. Well, and, you know, you even that, have here in in Kentucky. So I was talking to somebody that was there for the photo shoot that happened before the. Um, protest, right? There were some people there. Oh, the knife wielding terrorist. The knife wielding Karen terrorist, right? Um, the Bashir backed butcher, as we've coined her. Uh, <laughs> and there's a gentleman there that actually is more on our side of things that was sitting down across the street in the grass with the family dog, everything else. And I guess a Brittany, Brittany oh, I always say it wrong. Uh, Brittany Bashir <laughs> walked across with the dog and then the governor came across and I guess at first he wasn't wearing a mask and he was like, Oh, do you want to get a picture? Which is kind of weird. He's begging him to take a picture with him. But he's like, do you want to get a picture? And this guy's like, you know what? Screw it. We'll take a funny photo. I'm going to post it up later and talk crap. Right. In his mind. And so the governor then puts on a mat, pulls out a mask. And he's like, Oh, I got to put on this mask. I mean, it's not really needed. And actually, my orders don't even say it, but pictures travel far, you know. And you got to put out the right image, and he puts it on and takes the picture. So even the governor, two seconds before he's taking these photos, was unmasked. And he literally just put them on for the photo op. And it's like, those are the kinds of things where it's like, that is so detached from science, and I can't trust you that you're following the science when you're literally doing things because, well, I don't want them to think I'm a Republican because that became, you know, the, as I posted the other day, that became the anti MAGA hat, you know, Republicans had the MAGA hat, Democrats have their mass and that's kind of where it's facing off. So it's interesting. I've been friends with state Senator John Schickel for a really long time. And I really like Senator Schickel. I don't always agree with all of his votes, but, but I really like him. And I think, that, you know, he, got a public servant's heart and he had a fundraiser over the summer um robert cybers and a bunch of other people went and i went um and i wrote him a check i mean i've represented him on some issues um you know and he's just a good guy and so you know i'm happy to support him even if i don't um, always agree with him and um and so i was there and you know people were masked for like the entire event um and then they went to go take a photo towards the end right this was still like july august right summer people were still COVID freaking out right and like um I, i'm trying to remember i did i wear a mask that event or not i might i might i don't remember if i did or not um but the mask came off for the photo and the photo got posted and the next thing you knew there was kdp the kentucky democratic party issuing this press release about look at these terrible republicans they're all going to kill grandma right Right. The mask was off for these guys to take a photo for like less than 30 seconds, which, by the way, if, we're, if we want to talk about science and we really want to look at how COVID spreads. And I've been up and down the study since this thing started. It's 15 minutes of close proximity exposure, typically in an indoor non-ventilated area that typically has the greatest chance of spreading COVID if, you, if you're in proximity to somebody who has it. It is not taking off your mask for two minutes to go get a photo and then putting it back on. But of course, you know, I look at this screeching that the KDP put out about how, you know, grandma was going to die. And I'm like, at that point I figured out this was all about the virtue signal from the beginning. This was about the virtue signal and this entire, you know, I'm not saying that the pandemic or COVID is not real. I, I think it is real. I mean, people, you know, have lost their lives particularly if they had underlying, you know, comorbidities, but I think like, like everything in politics, 
you know, never let a crisis go to waste. And the left in particular was, was hell-bent on not allowing this crisis to go to waste. And, you know, I think that's a lot of what we've had. Well, and I think too, as well, there's, there's a, let me know if you think this is accurate and this is what we'll end on. Okay. I've been saying this on, on my podcast. I don't know how often you listen to my podcast, but we talk all the time. So it doesn't matter. You hear my voice all the time. Anyway. So, um, I think Bashir has linked it in his head that vaccines equal reelection. He thinks, I believe that if he can get X percentage vaccinated, he can turn around during election season and say, I got you all vaccinated. I saved your lives. You put that shot in your arm because I told you to now vote for me. And I, I, and I see the same thing with masking where there may be because they're attaching that as anti-Republican. If I can force everybody to wear a mask that I can and they start to believe it's in, in what I'm saying, they'll start to hate all those dirty Republicans that don't believe in mass. What do you, what do you think? So I think everything the governor has done has been political in nature, right? I mean, from the value judgments to allowing the abortion clinics that that heavily funded this campaign to remain open while shutting down other non-elective medical procedures that may or may not have been involved in killing a congressman's wife in Kentucky. I mean, I, you know, I look at the death of uh, Congressman Barr's wife and I, I can't mm-hmm. help but think the governor, the governor Bashir's mandates didn't have a hand in that. I mean, I think they might have, right? I mean, I, yeah. Uh, everything this guy has done from the beginning, every mandate he has issued, every winner he has picked has has been political. If you dig into it and you look at who his campaign donors were, look at the lieutenant governor and the handling of unemployment and the special interests that were sort of you know getting jumped to the front of the line. There was a huge expose. It was in and out of the paper in a day, right? You know, the, we've got, I mean. I mean, Mac, McNamara admitted he wanted that 100 staff LRC offered. The governor's administration wouldn't take it because they didn't want to like work Mac with America Republicans. Got Hillary Clinton, maybe. I mean, I don't know. I mean, you know, there's that issue. I mean, I, you know, Epstein. I mean, depending on how you want to look at it. I mean, I, you know, I, I think that there's a dirty underbelly that with this governor. I mean, winner and loser picking. I mean, sort of special interest, no big contracts. I mean, it's all about enriching friends and family. Um, and you know, for him, I, I think you know he he wants to portray himself as the quote unquote wartime governor, right? with this war against COVID to, to boost himself into reelection. And the problem is, I think, generally speaking, the public has kind of had enough, right? And, and I think we saw that. I mean, the Kentucky Derby, right? People are dressed up. It's an affluent crowd. People are dressed up. Ladies wearing the nice hats. It's a big event. They're out in public. Um, you know, folks go to the Derby to, and, and generally speaking, I would, I would bet, you know, more than half of the Derby, maybe, maybe, maybe significantly more than half of the Derby, um, are probably not registered Republicans, right? Probably most of them are registered Democrats. If I, I mean, to... Ted Cruz was there. Well, you know, I mean... <laughs> but no, seriously, right? I think yeah. most of the people in that stadium were were, were Democrats or, or left-leaning independents. I mean, it's Louisville. It's kind of drawn the affluent, you know, the, the limousine liberals, as my as a, as a friend of mine who's a Democrat likes to call them. That's who that's who mostly attends the Derby. I'm not talking about the infield, right? Where where you and I would go. To sort of, you know, hang out. No, I got offered a spot in a box. I just didn't take it. Oh, did you? It didn't, okay. it, it didn't sound enjoyable to me. You know, it, <laughs> for that right. exact reason, I was like, I'm going to be around limousine liberals all day. Right, but, but but then look at the reaction. Right, the reaction was here's this giant booing. Right, and so I think that for the governor, for a governor who has prided himself on sort of playing politics with all of us from the beginning, it had to be at least a little bit sobering. Right, I mean. Maybe just a little. I I don't know. I mean, I I watched him on TV. He almost dropped that I, trophy. What? 
<laughs> I mean, he you could tell like he was Ooh. a little shaken. Like, what just happened? Like, what right. just happened? And like, I, I mean, maybe it's finally starting to like come home to him. I mean, I you know, I kind of think, you know, the Republican Party of Kentucky. You know, I think there was a deliberate mindset of not impeaching the governor in part because he he's a really good boogeyman to fundraise off of, and he's a really good boogeyman to try and elect more Republicans because we're not them. And look what this awful governor did, right? I think they left him in office on purpose for political reasons. I think that I think deep down, if you really push those co- impeachment committee members, they would probably tell you that there were sufficient grounds that if, if they really felt like it, they could have impeached him. I think they made the decision not to for, for politics. And, Arresting you know, people for going to church tends to get you impeached in America. I mean, it, it should. Right. And, and, you know, I mean, my reaction to sort of RPK's sort of stance of we're not going to impeach him is that's a bold strategy. Cotton. Let's see how it works out for you, because now. You go to their Facebook page, every time they're looking for the $2 income tax checkoff, people are like, uh, no, like we know what you're doing. Right. Everything you did was basically, you know, political and we don't like it. Like st- stand up and fight for us and stop playing politics. And that I, goes totally for the governor, but it includes it includes the establishment politicians from RPK as I well. I think I think there's they're right and they're wrong. I think they're hundred percent right that it will be better for the Republican Party that he's in there. Republicans will gain more seats and more control and power. I think they're wrong to think they'll still be there to do it because (laughs) I think a lot of them are going to get removed in the process because people just don't forget. I mean, people, they don't forget. And even I post up reminders and you'll see these rhinos come on and argue. I mean, you'll see Regina Huff still trying to defend HB uh, 208, despite the fact that she's like, no, they can only close for five NTI days. And I go, okay, what about this? And I show Fleming County and Boyd County going back to NTI only. Like Fleming's going back for 10 days NTI. And I'm like, explain that. Explain that if your bill did exactly what you say it did and not what we said it did. Explain that. And I mean, you, you know can. how this goes, right? They so so the legislators go to LRC. LRC drafts them a bill. The legislators right. say a bill that does X, Y, and Z. LRC drafts them up a bill that sometimes does XYZ, sometimes does ABC, and the legislators well, take it on Karen face Karen used value. to work for LRC, the knife wielder. I know. She the knife for wielder. LRC. Those are the people that are writing your bills. That person who pulled a knife on a, on a peaceful protester was writing your legislation, guys. Which is why, you know, I mean, I so I was working with probably four or five different legislators this session on liberty-related legislation. And they would send a bill over. I would sometimes give them language. And it would come back from LRC and like not do what it was supposed to do, right? And I'm like, at some point you figure out that like LRC is not there to like do what the legislators tell them to do. Like they're 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 either they're doing one or two things, and I'm not sure which. I haven't I haven't figured it out yet. They're either doing what leadership tells them to do, which is its own sort of problematic deal, or they're pursuing their own sort of politics with legislation. And, you know, neither of those things, by the way, are good. Like, I mean, the whole point of the legislative process is, you know, if somebody introduces a bill, it should be the bill that they want it to be. And then their colleagues will debate it and it'll get amended and it'll get to where it gets to have some level of consensus and then it'll pass. Right. And so it shouldn't be short circuited out the gate like that. That fundamentally undermines the entire process. And so but and yet that to some degree is going on with LRC 
And I'm kind of like, yeah, it's not so good, right? (laughs) It's not good. It's not so good. No, no, it's not so good. Well, hey, Chris, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we'll we'll be in touch. And I know that we've got, you know, the Saturday rally. And, uh, you know, yeah, we'll be speaking at the uh, Saturday rally. You'll be uh, Shane Baker. We'll be speaking there uh, as well um, with you. I believe there's a there's a few others. But, yeah, um, I know those are the two I booked. For the rest of the Yeah, I've got court next Monday. We'll, yeah, we'll, we'll catch up with you then. All right, sounds good, man. Thanks. All right, Thanks. We'll see you. All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. I was in the title of this, I said I was going to talk about the free speech and some other things after Chris got off. But you know what? I'm going to hold that till next week. We've already been going for an hour and 15 minutes. But I had a fantastic conversation. I hope you guys did too, as well. We dropped a couple links. One's for GoFundMe. Please, please, please. Give some money to Chris. He does this work pro bono for the most part, unless he wins and then the state gives him money. But he does this work uh, uh, pro bono if he loses most of the time. And so for that reason, please donate to his GoFundMe. That covers the cost of things like witnesses and things like that. As well, we dropped a petition to discipline Judge Shepard. Chris is in no way attached to that. But we just wanted to throw that up there so that way if you wanted to, to somehow feel like you're fighting and pushing back on what the courts are doing, uh, you can go ahead and do that as well. But please support us, guys. Come by the shop. Go online, uh, broodco.com, B-R-E-W-E-D-C-O.com. Check that out, guys. And, and I thank you so much for joining me. Have a great evening.